Oh, good to be here um, with you this morning again around the Word of God. It's good to get a, an infusion of truth um, for our spiritual lives and sustenance. I'd invite you to turn to Matthew 14, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. We're going to be finishing off uh, the chapter, and it's just a three-verse finish which might feel kind of like a postscript or an appendix to uh, all that we've been learning. And it is in some way, but I couldn't let myself just use this, these three verses as a bridge into the next section. I tried to, I thought about it, I opened it up, thought about going into where Jesus is going to be taking on the Pharisees and legalism. But this is a sort of a postscript to everything Jesus has been uh, modeling for us. It kind of wraps everything up and brings it to a really good, fine point that leads into the next chapter. And really, the point of these three verses is um, one that centers on Christ's sufficiency, Christ's sufficiency. Learning about Christ being sufficient is such a key um, application to the Christian life, and it's one of the, the main ones that you want to get down as soon as possible, relying on Christ being all in all for your life, not just in the big picture, but in the day-to-day, the week-to-week, month-to-month, the hour-to-hour, understanding that Christ is all you need and we live by him is so important. This is a message I think the Lord wanted me to share. And um, one of the reasons is, as I came back from an all-day wrestling tournament, I, you know, picked away my sermon a little bit in the stands and uh, enjoyed some, some time there, then came home that night, started to just polish off the, the final touches on the sermon, probably had an hour into it. About 20 minutes in, my computer got mad at me. I've been um, kind of mean to it and uh, not allowed it to reboot, restart itself and upload new programs and all that stuff. I just put it off, put it off, put it off. And then I had this sort of computer storm happen where basically the Word document started talking to the fact that I wouldn't reboot it and reset it. And it just went into that non-responsive mode. And so you're just in limbo. And then you exercise the fruit of the Holy Spirit and patience and just let it go. No, you, you punch it and try to hit it and, you know, turn it on and off. And, and then, uh, then I'm on the phone with Nathan, poor Nathan, you know, and, and he's giving me like, you know, sort of comptroller help. And this is how you completely hard set, shut it down. And you're just praying that the sermon comes back because it was gone. Like the, the word doc that came back when I was messing with it was uh, everything I had done up to last week because I kind of do it in a long series, and then, but minus what I had done all week to prepare for this morning. So I did have a raw copy of, um, you know, kind of a mark through thing that I would have preached from, but, but lo and behold, it came back. Uh, it was up in the cloud, and the cloud spat it back down, and um, here we have a sermon. It's amazing. It's incredible. It was a miracle. Just kidding. All right, let me just get out of that and bring us back to this. Um, I am excited. This is an applicational sermon, and there's a lot of passages at the end of this message to apply, and you don't have to write them down because they'll be posted. So you can just enjoy and, and think and, and sort of drink in what you're supposed to think about in terms of what Christ's sufficiency means for you. Um, let me just read our text. Verse 34 of Matthew chapter 14. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, 
They sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. We know Jesus has been on retreat, or at least in his mindset. That's the case I've been trying to make because he came at the end of his parable teaching. John the Baptist was executed. Jesus had word of that. Herod Antipas was kind of high threat. And for whatever reason, Jesus said, I I need to get away. So I'm going on a boat. He invited the disciples to go with him on their boat or whatever. And they went across across the top of the Sea of Galilee, west coast side to the east coast side to a desolate place. So Jesus is four hours in a boat, isolated and, and having quiet time just to sort of disengage. And the crowds and masses are trekking across the top um, above the Sea of Galilee on the, mountains, on the mountains, looking down at Jesus, only to meet him on the other side. He was going to a desolate place, a desert place, isolated away from others with his 12, and suddenly it's 5,000, and then wives and um, kids making 15, 20,000 people. They're hungry. He decides to invite them on conference with him, so he has a conference on retreat with uh, these disciples. He's feeding them. Uh, miraculously, but then he sends the disciples away. He, he forces them back onto the boat and says, I need you to go back away from me, go into the water. I'll meet you back on the other side. I was here for a retreat. He disbands the crowd somehow as the son of God. He can do that, disbands, sends them away, and he goes and climbs his way into fellowship with the Lord. So he's on retreat. He was in a boat. Then he was in a desolate place. Now he's up a mountain to get away with the Lord. And he he meets as the Lord with his heavenly father for three of the four night watches into the night, all of the wee hours of the night um, where he's on a prayer vigil, but then looks back at the fourth watch, which is where it's, you know, kind of tipping from night to dawn and sees his disciples struggling in the boat, probably under moonlight, can see them out there. And so he goes down the mountain through the desert, onto the water, on top of the water to his disciples, looking for an opportunity to mentor them, to show them who he really is. Sometimes you go away on retreat to get with God, but then to take a few on a particular mission and to show them something um, that they needed to see that they wouldn't see otherwise unless you took them away from the main you know, sort of ebb and flow of life. And so he's doing that with his apostles Truly, you are the son of God. Peter comes out on the water with him, starts to sink, and then they get in the boat. And as soon as they get in the boat, everyone, including Peter, bow down to the Lord and say, you are the son of God. So that's Jesus' story of retreat. And so now we have verses 34 through 36, which this could sound like monotony. Yes, we get it. He goes to villages. He heals everybody. It's what he does. What do we need to learn from this? This is retread, but within the monotony, I want you to see a truth that Christ has full, sufficient supply and power at every turn. Coming off retreat, coming coming through this time away, he's back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's back on the west side underneath, um, you know, 
I don't know exactly how long underneath, but if you look at your Bible map, he's just a, you know, an inch beneath Capernaum, still in the northern, um, northwest side there. It's another fishing town, fishing village, maybe a thousand or so people. And Jesus is there to be met by people coming to him with their needs. He's not there to preach. There's no mention of him preaching at this phase. He's, he's done his open-air preaching ministry. Now he's just in a place where he can pour out himself once again, working out of the capacity of the endless, inexhaustible flow of the Holy Spirit as he heals and ministers to everyone that comes without qualification, without prerequisite. There's no mention of them um, really doing anything except wanting a touch of the Lord Jesus. Why is this here? I think this is here to, for us to not only see and recognize that Jesus is the healer, but to recognize his inexhaustible ministry that he models for us to follow. We are supposed to follow a ministry that is like Jesus. We are to live as Christ and to die is gain to go be with Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So how do we follow Jesus in a ministry like this? I'm going to unpack these verses to try to explain that to you. But I want you to see that when you go away on vacation and you come back and say, I need a vacation from my vacation, um, that sentiment is not the Christian life. Wherever we are, whether we're away, whether we're in weather events like Jesus was, whether we're up a mountain, whether we're in a desert place, whether we're in a conference, we are we we should strive to engage with Jesus in a way where He is our rest. This is what Jesus modeled. He was on retreat and he was in crowds and he was alone. He was in different variety of circumstances. He did change things up so that he could go on retreat in a physical sense. But spiritually speaking, to rest in the Lord is an internal spiritual connection where you are vitally connected to God all the time. And that's what Jesus is modeling for us to see. He's vitally connected to his heavenly father. It's the inner sanctum that we have with the Lord that keeps us going. That's where we find our rest. That's where we find our retreat. True spirituality works from the inside out, not the outside in. And that's what Jesus is showing us. It is a focused heart. A lot of people are talking about retreat, getting away. Uh, yeah, I mentioned earlier the weather is coming. The, the six months of cold and dark and all the people that say, especially those on the outside that say, oh, you know, I could never live there because it gets so cold and so dark. And in my mind, my internal monologue is, yeah, you could never live here because you're not tough enough or strong enough to face God's creation up here. But really, it's a, it's, I mean, I joke about that, but really it's an attitude. Everybody can complain about anywhere that they are. You can see the good or you can see the bad. You can see the long, beautiful dawning and the long, beautiful dusk and the long, you know, beautiful morning um, that happens here through the winter. Or you can say, wow, it's cold and it's dark. I mean, you can do one or the other. You can enjoy and bask in the beauty of creation. I've never seen sights like I saw this fall when I was up taking kids home at neighborhood drop-offs and whatever and looking down on brilliant orange and red foliage um, with the cook inlet around. I mean, just spectacular. And I guess if you're complaining and all focus on yourself, you're going to miss all of that. But the beauty of creation abounds here. I'm not saying it's not harsh environment and things to live through and survive and, and the like, but it all comes down to your perspective. 
I was in California recently. People were complaining about there. I mean, it's Southern California. It's a perfect uh, sort of 68-degree, 70-degree weather day, and people are going, man, the taxes are terrible. We hate the politics. We hate the gas prices. We hate the liberalism. This is all, and I'm just going surfing while I'm down there. I'm like, yeah, I like California because I decided to like California. I don't know. I, Paul liked jail. Why did he like jail? Because people were coming and visiting me, and I could, I've got all day to write and free food, and so I can just write and advance the kingdom and write the prison epistles now that we're going to be like quoting all through the second half of the sermon the whole time because he liked being in jail. He did. And he even reveled at the end when he was in the Mamertine Roman prison going to get his head chopped off. He's like, I fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith, now I'm going to heaven. Wow, I'm excited about this next event. I mean, that's the Christian mindset that understands Christ is sufficient. Christ is all you need. Christ is the power in our lives that we have to recognize and see. It's the peace of God, which the word is surpasses all understanding, right? It surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is like a garrison. It's like a guard of our heart and mind if we will but submit to him with contentment and with trust. He never disengaged the father. And here we have a very monotonous event. Once again, he's healing. He's at Gennesaret. He's healing. And I want you to read the repetition with hope. Christ's monotonous life was sustainable because his capacity was inexhaustible because he was connected to the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Now, he's fully divine, fully human, so he's sinless, he's divine, he's eternal, he has full humanity, but he's modeling for us what a full, sinless, submissive life looks like where the Holy Spirit is enriching and flowing through him. And this is what we too have access in. We are sinners, but we have access to the Holy Spirit for this capacity. Again, Chapter 15 is going to be all about legalism. We're shifting next week into a new series on legalism, how to fight against trying to say, oh, I got to do more. Then I'll be happy or I'll be fine. Oh, I got to do less. Then I'll be good. Then I'll be fine. Both are wrong. And we're going to talk about that next time. That's what the Pharisees wanted Jesus to teach and subscribe to. Verse 2 of chapter 15, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And so he's just trying to trap them. Work from the outside. Work from the outside in to make yourself right with God rather than have a true spiritual reliance on the Lord from the inside out. That's why this passage is here. That's why the lead-in where Jesus is pouring out once again from the inside out, not the outside in. That's what's going on here. I think in Matthew's flow of thought, we can easily get ensnared in legalism, then you're trapped in your flesh. You can easily get bound up in the law, then you're in Satan's trap. Here's the kind of tagline for the sermon, if you want to write this down. We want to not trust in self-capacity, but trust in Christ's sufficiency. To not trust in self-capacities, but trust in Christ's sufficiency. It's the final phase of retreat. If you're taking the big picture notes, um, point one of Christ's retreat, 
was uh, pursuing nearness with God. It was a reason he went away, verses 13 to 21. Then he was presenting opportunities to mentor. That was him walking on the water, showing himself as son of God to the apostles, verses 22 to 33. Now he's pouring out blessing on spontaneous needs, verses 34 to 36. These are phases of retreat. The final phase was a pour out. Jesus' capacity, it's proving inexhaustible because of three qualities. We're gonna see three qualities of his inexhaustibility. Um, Three ways that this is proven that he is inexhaustible because he's yielded to the Holy Spirit's power. First of all, we see the quality of spontaneity, spontaneity. I'll just apply this up front before we look at verse 34. If you are able to be spontaneous in need meeting, then you know that you are operating by the Holy Spirit. Spontaneous. I don't mean once. I mean ongoingly as a mark of your life. You are open to needs as they are presented before you. That is proving out your reliance on the Holy Spirit. Jesus was always available. He was never denying people. He was there in spontaneity. Where do I see this? Well, look back at verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. How quick did they cross over? Well, the apostles bowed down in the boat when Jesus got in there. And then John 6, 21 says they were glad to take him into a boat And immediately a boat, the boat was at the land to which they were going. So it's like Jesus gets in, they bow down and they're there at Gennesaret, which tells me this is part of God's, God, the father's spontaneous will in Jesus life. I say spontaneous because I don't know that Jesus knew he was going to be in Gennesaret. I mean, they're heading back across. They're in that top portion of the Sea of Galilee, that four mile span. They're probably somewhere in the middle. And Jesus has walked out to them. He was going to pass by. He's in the boat. They bow down and boom, they're just there suddenly at Gennesaret. And Jesus embraces this. There's no pause in ministry. They came to the land of Gennesaret. That's where they were supposed to be, right in the middle of God's will that from man's perspective looked unplanned. Uh, That's how the Christian life is. It's God's plan but it's unplanned for us from our perspective. There's a woman in our church. Um, she lives elsewhere. And I've said this before, but she, um, you know, real vibrant, energetic um, husband, wife team, you know, Christian people, real lovely people. And, uh, you know, this is sort of before her time, but she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Uh, it was God's plan, wasn't her plan. So she spontaneously is responding to that. She texts me off and on. I talk to she and her husband from time to time, pray with them. And what she said uh, was uh, that she was a very controlling person. That's sort of her testimony, really intentional. And she just said, you know, I, I found out that um, I'm really not in control of anything. That was a big lesson I learned through being diagnosed with this stage four cancer, but the bigger lesson that I've learned looking back at the end of my life is that I've come to realize I was never in control of anything. Not only not in control, I was never in control. And I think that's the way we have to live. That's how we have capacity. So first of all, spontaneity, the second quality that Jesus proves out here is availability. Look at verse 35. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick. Everybody's coming. Not just some people, but everybody. And I don't know at whatever level they were expressing 
their faith or, or, you know, we know Jesus wasn't teaching at this point. They're just all coming. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is, is now and the healer is here. We've heard of this healer up in Capernaum. We've heard of all that he can do. And now he's come to our town. This is incredible. And Jesus didn't go to every town and Jesus didn't heal everybody in the world when he was here on earth. But for him to specifically land at Gennesaret, puts it on the map, puts it in our Bibles. And this is an opportunity where everybody can be healed. It's heaven on earth. It's the same place that we will be one day when we cross the threshold into heaven. You know, our Sea of Galilee crossing into heaven where everybody is healed who's in heaven. This is what's happening down at Gennesaret. By word of mouth, everybody's finding out. And by eyewitness, everybody is telegraphing that this is Christ. That's the media then was eyewitness account. That's it. And by eyewitness, they are saying that this is Jesus. And we want passion. We want relief. We want help from Christ, from the fallen condition that we find ourselves in, from the diseases, from the world that we're in where there are no cures. Jesus, you are here. And Jesus answers with un, um, sort of unlimited grace, inexhaustible grace for everyone. Verse 35, all who were sick, sick, everyone was helped. Everyone was healed. Openness to, to the needs of others is another mark and evidence that you are relying on God's inexhaustible grace. You believe it starts with believing Christ is sufficient to meet needs and you go off the clock in your mind and you just open your heart to the need because Christ is pouring through you his inexhaustible grace and mercy by the means of the Holy Spirit. His sufficiency is there. His power to move in your life. It brings us to the final point, which is sufficiency. Christ is spontaneous, Christ is available, and Christ is sufficient. All these qualities are present to show that he is inexhaustible. Sufficiency, verse 36. And I want you to see this phrase. This is kind of what created the whole sermon. So it's the people implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. What do the people want? They want one thing. The word only here is manan, only. Only one thing. We want to touch the hem of the garment. We want to touch the little tassel on the bottom. That's it. It's what we want. Some people could misconstrue that as being making Jesus like a vending machine or a, you know, a genie or a magic trick or you know, the magic cloak that we want to touch. But I want you to flip that on its head because what they're saying is, Instead of that is that all I need to do is touch the hem of the garment. I don't need a lot. I don't need a sermon. I don't need, you know, much from Jesus because I believe in all of who he is. And he is the son of God. I'm embracing everything in who he is. And so all I need to do is have a touch of Jesus. To be healed in your heart by faith is is to embrace him on that level. Do you remember the man who was the centurion who was concerned for his dying servant in Matthew 8, 10? And he went and said, if you'll just speak the word, you don't even have to come to my house. You just have to speak a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus was willing to go and he said, no, I don't even need you to do that. Like we're, we're not doing, we're not getting the most 
out of you in terms of your time. All we need is a little from you, if it's your will, to heal my servant. And Jesus just was marveling at this faith. Matthew 8, 10, Jesus marveled and said, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. It's because he genuinely believed. This is a centurion genuinely believing that Jesus could just speak the word. Obviously, the town of Gennesaret had heard about the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. Um, the evidence was, was real and powerful through the testimony that had come down to Gennesaret. And the woman just touched the, the rabbi's garment and she was completely healed immediately. They were keying off that. And they said, if that could be done for her just by a touch, then it could be done for me. And this would have been a testimony that would have carried because it was scandalous. Number one, she's a woman. You don't touch a rabbi if you're a woman. Number two, ceremonially unclean. You don't touch anybody if you're ceremonially unclean. Number three, she was religiously contaminating. You, if you have that situation, you're going to violate the law. If you come into the court of women, you're not welcome there. You're not welcome at church. You're not welcome to... To, to hug and you're not welcome to be in the presence of Jesus. What does she do? I'm going to go right to the source. She's not bucking the law. She's not ignoring the law. She's rightly applying the law. The law is to point to Christ. The law was always meant to point to his holiness and she wants that. And so she says, whatever this means, as it applies to me, I see Jesus and I need to run to him. So she navigates through the crowd, which is breaking all the violations of connection with people. And she just goes right to Jesus. And she knows she doesn't need any more from him than a touch to be completely healed. And she was. That's what she said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 21. She said to herself, if I only touch, that's word manon, only touch his garment, I will be made well. This is not a promise that means everybody is supposed to be made well in this life if you have enough faith or something like that. That's a false teaching. It's the promise that all you need is faith to be welcomed into Jesus's life and his life into yours, to be made whole spiritually. This is the idea here. This is the truth of Gennesaret. There is physical healing. Physical healing is 100% promised in this way when we are in the presence of Jesus in heaven. But the point of this passage is the attitude of the people is I only need to touch the fringe of his garment. He's all I need. He's completely sufficient. I don't need any more than Jesus. If I can just have this much of Jesus, I have all of Jesus. That's the point. That's how you live Say, so what does this look like? How does this really apply? We're not in these miracle moments today in our day and age. So what does this look like today in daily life, Christ's sufficiency? Why does this matter to me? How can I live in a way that I have the inexhaustible resource that Jesus did to keep pouring out for my kids or for my friends or for my family or for my loved ones? How do I keep going? This is not living... Um, like a superhero. This is just living the Christian life. The Bible says that Christ lives in you, the hope and glory, Colossians 1, 27, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Because of him, you are in Christ. Does this matter? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit resides in you. Within you, 1 Corinthians 9, 16, whom you have from God, you are not your own. Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with the world's wine. Be filled in spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come under the control of the Holy Spirit. How does this apply and matter? 
And what about the promises like 2 Peter 1.3? His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. What divine power? Jesus' divine power. What's that look like? Well, it looks like Gennesaret. Uh, you have that power at your disposal in your life through the true knowledge of him, by knowing Jesus, by embracing these promises. What does that look like? Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strength, strengthens me. That might be the closest example to real life. Jesus, or Paul's in jail. He's locked up. He has much or he has little. And out of whether he has a lot in his bank account or not, he's sitting there going, I can endure another day in jail because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in the Lord. That's what we're talking about. Now, you have history, you have uh, heroes of the faith like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Listen to all he did. I like the point of this, though. Just listen. It's kind of interesting because he lived a crazy life. In 57 years, Charles Haddon Spurgeon accomplished three lifetimes of work, every work. Every week, he preached four to ten times. He read six meaty books, revised sermons for publication, lectured, edited a monthly magazine. In his spare time, he wrote 150 books. Spurgeon shepherded the largest Protestant megachurch in the world. He knew all 6,000 members by name, directed a theological college, ran an orphanage, and oversaw 66 Christian charities. And I've read enough on Spurgeon to kind of validate that he did live that way. I'm not calling you to live that way, but listen to what... Livingston, David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, what he said, he asked Spurgeon, how can you accomplish so much in one day? And Spurgeon said, you forget, Mr. Livingston. There are two of us working. There are two of us working. I like that. We're always working as um, ourselves and in the power of the Holy Spirit, unless you choose not to. Unless you choose not to. Well, how do we put this together? How do we tap into this reservoir well, 1 Corinthians 2, I want to just stand on this as I go into an application zone here, and that is that we have the mind of Christ. If you are alive in the Holy Spirit, and you are, and you have the Word of God, and you have these promises from the Word of God, and you apply them, and you think this way, and you get a Christ's Christian mindset, then you can tap into God's sufficient power. How do I mean what does this look like? Well, I took, I don't know, I took some time. I think I have 18, 19 applications. You ready? 19 applications for what it looks like to live by the sufficient power of Christ that's inexhaustible in your life. Number one, and you can write these down, but the verses will be online later. Number one, you have the mind of Christ, and so you have the capacity to, number one, endure Endure what? Endure all the way to the end of your life, no matter what. Endure. Matthew 24, 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. What does that mean? Are you earning your salvation? No. True Christians make it all the way to the end, and they don't quit. They don't deny the faith, and they don't give up. That's number one. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You run the race of endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, the one who translated also overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. The one who overcomes. Number two, so not only do you endure, number two, you rejoice, you can pray and give thanks all the time. 
all the time. None of these verses make sense, by the way, or real li- or our real life, unless you understand that God gives you the capacity, if you rely on him, to actually live, in, live them out this way. Look at this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. You've read it over and over. Rejoice always. Hear that word always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You're actually supposed to live this way. Say, I'm supposed to pray all the time? Yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to be connected to God in your heart all the time. That's what that means. Well, I can't have a quiet time all this. It's not what it's talking about. Living in communion, you should be able to say, oh, I'm, thinking, I'm immediately able to think about Jesus is with me right now. That's praying without ceasing. God is with you. You're recognizing the presence of God in your life all the time. I'm upset. I'm sad. I can rejoice right now, even though I'm super sad about something. Always. Always. That's what, it, that's what it means. Rejoice always. I can give thanks for being saved always. First Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's, that's the Christian life out of the inexhaustibility of Christ. Number three. To grow, to endure, to rejoice, pray, give thanks. Number three, to grow. 2 Corinthians 3.18, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. You're always constantly in a progress of sanctification. Philippians 4.6, he does it. For I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 2 in another place says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Not only does he do it, you're doing it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you, supplying you the power to grow. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, you want to do it. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. You want it like a baby wants the milk to survive, to grow. 2 Peter 3, 18 Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, you will grow. Not only do, are you going to grow, not only does God grow you, not only will you grow you, not only do you want to grow, but you finally will end up grown in the Lord to a mature man. Number four, you serve in the strength God supplies, First Peter 4.11. Whoever serves as one who serves in the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Oh, but I want to do more. Oh, I need to do less. That's not what we're talking about. It's a yieldedness where you say, I will serve in the strength that God supplies. Not my strength. Physical strength can wane and fall, but I will rely on the Holy Spirit and serve in the strength he supplies. You endure, you rejoice, pray, give thanks, you grow, you serve. And then, I like this one. You fight, run, box, wrestle, and contend. Yeah, all the athletic terms. You keep going, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. All the runners that are in the race run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. You run, you keep going, you don't quit. There are those who receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable. We do not run aimlessly. We do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching, I myself should be disqualified. That's talking about running all the way to the end of your life. Boxing all the way to the end of your life. Contending for the faith always. 1 Corinthians six twelve. You fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. 
Jude 1.3, contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You never quit. You don't stop. You never deny the Lord. You never deny the gospel. You're in the grip of his grace and you hang on to Jesus because he gives you the Holy Spirit's power to do that. Do you do all these things and then you suffer? James 1, 1 and 3, how long can you suffer through what you're suffering through? What kind of capacity do you have to endure the physical pain, the spiritual pain, the emotional pain, the loss that you suffer in your life, the tears that you cry in private or in public? How long can you last? All the way to the end. All the way to the end. Why? James 1, 1 and 3. Well, look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's enormous, unexpected, unanticipated pressure that's on your life. Why do you count it joy? For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's amazing. The pressure comes down and it makes you stronger inside. It's as simple as that. If you do it in faith, if you do it in reliance on the Holy Spirit, the pressure comes down, makes you stronger inside. You can endure more. You're more like Christ. All the way to the end. Verse 12 of James 1 talks about receiving the crown, which is going to heaven at the end of this pressure trial. First Peter 2, 21 to 23, you have Jesus as the example. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How do you deal with the pain of attack and assault? You keep entrusting yourself to the Lord. When he's on the cross, he's breathing, he's asphyxiating. And he's entrusting himself to his father because he's saying this is unjust, but it is just in the sight of the Lord. So the, uh, the injustice is made just by the Lord, by God's will being in it. As you are persecuted, as you're threatened, as you're reviled, you don't have to fight back. You shouldn't fight back, um, not in worldly ways at all. Just entrust, entrust yourself to the Lord. That's how you last. Number seven, to obey. Romans 1.5, um, we receive the obedience of faith, receive grace to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among all the nations. So you can obey in the gospel all the way to reaching all the world. Hebrews 12, 6 through 8 speaks of being disciplined. It says, it is for discipline, verse 7, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons That's the discipline of obedience in the Lord. And then eight, to love. So not only do we suffer, do we not only we obey, but then we have the capacity to love. When does your love run out? Never, never. You love your enemies. You love your friends. You love everybody. Why? Because Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You have the Holy Spirit, you have love. Inexhaustible love. I like the one translation that says love has been shed abroad in our hearts. I think that's the New American Standard. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8, if I speak with the tongues of angels but not have, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If you are all these things externally as a supposed super-Christian, but you don't have this happening in your heart inexhaustibly for others, you are producing zero, zero for God. I'm going to call you a zero, but that's what it says. You, you have nothing. 
You have nothing. You're, you're not doing anything at all. It says, I am nothing if I do that. I could give away all I have. That's pretty high um, sacrifice. And if I deliver my body to be burned, I mean, think about this in terms of legalism. I'm going to burn my body and that's going to make me right with God. But if I have not love, I gain nothing, nothing. What does love look like? It's patient, kind, does not envy or boast, not arrogant, not rude, does not insist on its own way. It's not erratable, resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Here it is, endures all things, all things. Love never ends. Not only these things, number nine, you have the endurance to, the capacity to study. You say, why is that in here? Well, because I think that studying is a big part of Christian growth and life and Psalm 1, 1 and 3, bless the man who not, does not walk in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of, seat of scoffers. Blessed is a person who doesn't do everything the world does all the time. What are you doing opposite of that? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Everything that the world does, scoffs, mocks, sins. Now I'm going to just love the Bible instead. And the law... And in this law, he meditates night and day. I'm supposed to think about, what are you calling me to seminary? Are you saying I'm supposed to be a Bible student all the time? No, just like I'm saying, like you can pray without ceasing. Ceaseless prayer is just the acknowledgement that the Lord is with you and in your life and you're communing and fellowship with him all the time. If you're sinning, you're doing a bad job, but he's still there. He's still there. The word of God, let the word of Christ richly indwell within you. When the word of God is seed planted in your life, it's there. You just have to choose to think about it day and night. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Teachers, students, Get into the word of God. This is how you grow and you want to. Um, number 10, to teach. Um, you have the endurance to teach, the capacity to teach. First Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. You're speaking for God out of the overflow of that. Preaching, number 11, you preach in season and out of season. It's always 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, not when it's popular only, but when it's unpopular, when it can bring persecution, when it can bring threat, when it's upsetting someone. Um, you, it's offensive, but you keep doing it because the word of God's in you. What about the fruit of the Spirit? You can bear fruit. You have the capacity to always love, have joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. All those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live, here it is, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So reliance on the Spirit, this fruit comes out of your life all the time. That's the Christian life. That's living by the sufficiency of Christ. Or we're halfway there. To give, Ephesians 3, 4 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And this is what he prays. This is Paul. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
You give because he's given to you. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love to see the height, depth, length, and breadth and know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Out of the overflow of that God giving to us, we give, Philippians 4.15. Paul talked about participation and giving and receiving. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me to help my, sent me help for, for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that it increases to your credit. As you give and we can continue to give, God is filling our cup back. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having been received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And God will supply, here it is, the sufficiency of Christ. God will supply every need of yours according to what? His riches and glory. You can't outgive God. God is inexhaustible. He will give back to you and protect you and guide you as you give. Number 14, to glorify. So 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even the mundane things of eating and drinking, you give glory to God. When are you supposed to give glory to God? All the time. At church? Sure. At Awana? Why not? Sunday school? Okay, it's easy there. All the time. In the car, in the bed, in front of the TV, around the house, with your friends. Glory to God. All the time. Give him credit for everything. Someone said it recently, and I I liked it. It's amazing how much you can get done if you're willing to not take any credit for it. It's all glory to God. What about singing? Say, I don't like to sing. Well, Ephesians 5, 18. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled in the spirit, dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your, to the Lord with your heart, always giving thanks and everything, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. It's the life of the spirit. Number 16, not only do we glorify all the time, we sing all the time, we can be holy all the time. Philippians 2, 12, therefore, my beloved, as uh, you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. It's obedience, it's holiness. 1 Peter 1, 13, prepare your mind for action. Verse 14, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back to what you used to be like. But as you were, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Remember, this is a text from Matthew about monotonous ministry, another group, another um, opportunity to heal. This is your life in terms of another opportunity to obey, another opportunity to be available, to be spontaneous, to be available, to rely on the sufficiency of Christ in holiness to restore, Galatians 6, 1, you who are spiritual should restore people in a spiritual a spirit of gentleness. Be in the Holy Spirit. When you're in the Holy Spirit, you can pull people out of their ensnarement of sin, bear one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. Number 18, to witness and defend. What are you supposed to witness? All the time. Where's my evangelistic crusade? We don't have one. All the time. Where's my evangelistic book? I don't really know a good one. I know a couple. But just tell people about Jesus all the time. All the time. All authority in heaven, Matthew 28, 18, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, make learners of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
Always. We teach. We call people to Christ. Just do it. Why? Because I am with you always. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the sufficiency of Christ. Why do you witness? Because Jesus is there. Next time you sense, should I witness or not, just ask Jesus, who's standing right there next to you, should I tell him about you? And he'll say, yes, I'm giving you the power to do that in this moment. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. It's supposed to be gracious all the time and it's supposed to be convicting all the time so people will know how you ought to answer each person. So, all right, 1 Peter 3, you're always ready to make a defense for the faith. Number 19, it's our last one. Everybody wake up for the final one. You'll feel better. All right, just kidding. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, How often are we supposed to gather? We're supposed to keep gathering for church all the time, all the years that we're alive until we go to heaven, because this is our touch point of heaven on earth. This is where God's voice calls us to live right. This is where hopefully the Holy Spirit is reminding you that he is there as your full resource and sufficiency to live therein. It comes by showing up and hearing the word of Christ. Christ like in our capacities. That's how we live. We live spontaneously with full availability in the sufficiency of Christ. We have the mind of Christ to do this as we fill our hearts with scripture and think this way. I'm not calling you to be a superman. I'm calling you to resist legalism and yield to Christ's submission. I was talking to somebody, I was talking through this sermon um, before I preach it to you. And this guy, he said, I asked him if if I could use this illustration because he just started talking about his own experience and applying it to himself in the way that he did. And I thought it was very powerful. He said last week he listened to the sermon about Jesus walking on the water and Peter and everything that went on. And he started to muse about it and think about it. And he wanted to take a walk in yesterday, or last Sunday's um, afternoon. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. So what happened to him, I guess in some sense is my fault because I sent him on that walk. I don't know. But he went out into the wilderness and he went up high into an area that was uh, mountainous and he's a mountain guy. I mean, he's, he's an outdoorsman. He should have been fine. He had his dogs with him. He went about an hour away and, and he came to this tipping point. He had had a run in with a moose that was kind of inch sketchy and kept going. And he came to this tipping point where weather started to hit and snow was hitting and, and he had his hood up and he was describing his ears kind of being batted around by his hood and the wind and then the, wind, the snow's hitting his face. Suddenly he was weathered in and he's at the tipping point. Do I go back where I know I can be safe or do I go forward? He said, well, of course I'm going to go forward. You know, that's what you do. And so he kept going and um, just kept moving around and knew where he was going. But suddenly he was found himself trapped in a whiteout where the topography is gone. It's indistinguishable and he can't really see anything but what's in front of him. And so what he did is he turned a two-hour event to a six-hour event with his dogs and with his cell phone that had minimal cell use um, for his compass and just kind of moved step by step and never panicked. And I believe him knowing him and he just sort of went inside his own heart and relied on the Lord and said, okay, now I'm going to apply the message and I'm going to trust completely on you, Lord. I'm thankful I don't have my family with me. I don't have my kids with me. I'm just here and I've got my dogs and we're going to just trek through this whole thing one step at a time. 
until finally you get resolution. He saw this pass that he'd been kind of looking for. The dogs kind of acted like they were aware of where he was. And he went through it and he made it back. But the, the lesson of this is simply that in the Christian life, we're not looking to be supermen. We're not looking to be Charles Haddon Spurgeon. We're not even looking to be the Apostle Paul or the Lord Jesus. I and mean, we want to be like Jesus. We want to follow Paul as he followed Christ. But we just want to live hour to hour, day to day, week to week, moment by moment, in complete reliance on the Lord. You have the mind of Christ. You have the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit to make it through another day, another week, another month, another event, another year in the Lord as we are pressing towards glory.